mystery and horror, the air itself is filled with monsters. Children of the night, what music they make. For the first time in 2024, welcome all you monster fiends and thank you for joining us for another deep dive, factoid filled episode exploring Hollywood's most famous monsters. I am your mistress of ceremonies, Sam, and I'm joined as always by Dan from Bleeding Marvelous. Say hello, Dan. Hello, Dan. Oh, Oh, and I'm in HD. <laughs> it's done. <laughs> I'm no longer on a potato. Yeah. And it's season two. <gasps> Deuces. Oh, oh my God. It feels like a lifetime ago since we've done this. Yeah, because we finished a lot earlier than the guys got the... Did we? Oh, I don't remember. <laughs> we finished at the... End of November, November, yeah, December, maybe something like that. Somewhere in November. So we've had a little break. We've recharged our batteries somewhat. (laughs) Some of us have been sick. Yes, very. We still are. (laughs) And we are back. And somebody pointed out to me in the Discord the other day that we started this whole thing with a huge Universal monster. We are once again starting season two with another huge Universal Monster. And I didn't even put two and two together. And I thought, wow, yeah, I like that. That was not by design at all. Don't know who you mean, Creature of the Black Lagoon. <laughs> First episode's really good. And okay, so I'll do the intro. No, I will do the disclaimer. Because on the first episode, I didn't actually do the disclaimer. I did it Not on the second that. one. Yeah. No, no, no. This is season two, baby. We do things professional. Do we? Will we? <laughs> You're going to find out. Probably right. not. Probably not. <laughs> Everything discussed in today's episode is our opinions and our opinions alone. And if you'd like to discuss anything from this episode, please come and join us in the comment section, the Discord page, or the Facebook page, where we can have an open discussion. But what we won't have is anyone coming for us and telling us our opinions are wrong. We can all agree to disagree in fandom. So let's give it fun, give it kind, and give the toxic behaviour out of nerdism. And for the first time of 2024, Dan? Don't be a dick. There we go. There we go. So if you didn't see on our Instagram, our new Instagram page. Monsters Up North. Thank you. Our TikTok page. Monsters Up North. Thank you. <laughs> you will know that today's episode is none other than the main man himself. Let's see, he's the main man of Universal Monsters, even though he kind of didn't start it. He kind of he boosted it a little bit. We're doing Dracula, but we're not just doing any Dracula. We're doing Bela Lugosi's Dracula. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Take me. That might have been a clue. Just, just... I mean, yeah. That if you're watching on YouTube, Dan's backdrop is a huge clue. But if you listen <laughs> on audio, hey, <laughs> goes out every Tuesday. Hey, shameless plug. So, in 1931, American 
pre-code supernatural horror directed by Todd Browning and starring Bella Lugosi. Based on the 1924 stage play Dracula by Hamilton Dean and John L. Balderston, which in turn is based on the 1987 novel by Bram Stoker. Carl Lemley once presented the vampire thriller, but tonight, Monsters of North brings you a nightmare of horror as we bring you Dracula. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I feel like I should have some lightning at some point. I need to get some like effects in here, like that'd have been pretty Don't cool at the end of that. What sweet music they make! Ah, oh, that is such a good line. He delivers it so perfectly. Um, so I mentioned in the intro that it's based on the stage play, which I feel is very important to begin with, yes. which is then based on the book. This yes. is based on the stage play. Yes. Yes, <laughs> in part, but yes. In, yes. in part. Yes. I've learned a lot about this movie, and I, in turn, was starting to learn a lot about Bella Lugosi, which has made me want to explore him and his career in so much more detail. So I will try my best to curb as much as what I can so I've we can put covered, that in there. I was going to say, I've covered like him with regards to Dracula, and then mm. I've got a bit about his death, and that's it. Yeah, I, I totally get that part. Um, so my first interesting factoid is the movie didn't get a score, a musical score, that is, until 1998. Yeah, Philip Glass, wasn't it? Yeah, so does the the, the opening part with the... Swan Lake. Swan Lake, that's it. Has that always been in there or was that part of that? No, Swan no. Lake was always the opening because they like to have a, a an atmospheric moment. Um, they thought Swan Lake was it? <laughs> apparently so. It was all the rage. It was just like having, I don't know, whap. <laughs> you know, to start a film. Um, but yeah, they reused it again for The Mummy. Um, the Swan Lake uh, intro. So, I mean... They got their money out of their rights, put it that way. When they bought something, <laughs> they got their money's worth. I just didn't know when I was looking into it, I couldn't find if it was part of that that was added in 98, or was it they had uh, In a lot of the old cinemas, they were. Uh, it was shown in um, like auditoriums, the cinemas, mm. right? So they'd have the orchestra pit, and the orchestra mm. would come play the first song to the m- music, Mm-hmm. go because obviously there's no other music during the during yeah because what you've got to remember is that this is coming off the back of silent movies yeah it was one of the first talkies wasn't it it very much was um it was now um i love this i love what i learned here because we we had a running joke in the first series about boris karloff being picked for everything over everyone else yes now this movie is not that at all. Yeah. At all. This movie was actually wrote for Lon Chaney in mind. Yeah. And he said no. And I've read a lot of things where people said, regardless of what had happened, he probably could not have done it anyway. Mm. But the reason he said no for us, because he was really poorly and he died halfway during the production of this movie. Yeah. They were literally universal were going to put their whole stock on Lon Chaney as being their poster boy. Yeah, because of the family and because of 
hunchback, obviously, and him being a master of disguise. Yeah. And those pre, pre, they were the two pre horror, the first horror movies pre, pri- oh, bleh, prior. There we go. That's the word. Prior to this it. one. So, yeah. So, yeah, it was everything was going to fall on Lon Chaney's shoulders, but he died in 1930. This came out in 1931. So, this was halfway through production. And his the impact of his death rattles through this movie because Todd Browning did not take it very well at all. Yeah. Todd Browning, the director of Freaks, which yes. I know the movie Freaks. Yes. I know the name Todd Browning. Mm-hmm. I did not put two and two together. <laughs> um, we hopefully will be covering that movie at some point. Um, oh, absolutely. Because it is a, a masterclass in in deception and um, the art of being making you think something over here is happening, but it's actually not. There's an underlying current of something happening over here and you're ready to believe that those are the bad guys when it's not them. And it, it- is very cleverly done. It's a masterpiece of horror, of mm-hmm. cinema. It is, it, you, if you go on to any horror list, Freaks is always up there. Yeah. But why I did not put, and I know Todd Browning's name because it's Todd Browning Presents Freaks. I know this, why I did not put them together. I even wrote it down. Sam, Todd Browning directed <laughs> Freaks. <laughs> so, yes, he took, the, he took the death of Lon Chaney incredibly bad to the point where cinematographer... Carl Freud, 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 Freud. Yeah, something like Freud. I want to say it's Freud, Freud, or something like that. It's not quite Freud. Freud, Freud, Freud had to step in and direct because Todd Browning was either off his face, not interested, and that has such a detrimental effect on everything to do with this movie. So we class this movie, I mean, it scored 94% on Rotten Tomatoes, and we class this movie as an absolute masterpiece. But is it really that big of a masterpiece when you break it down? If you see some of the videos I watched with regards to this that were mm-hmm. done by um, like movie scholars and, and guys that run like they're like um, professors at schools and stuff like that, mm-hmm. they would say yes. With the cinematography, the mm-hmm. use of shadows, um, the colorization of it just being black and white and gray and being able to use those colors to such an effect. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you ask some of the others, they said it's badly acted. (laughs) It was a rush job um, because it was filmed in seven weeks. Um, Scenes missing. (laughs) Yeah. Well, over half an hour's missing, isn't it? Yeah. There's, there's, there's footage missing that didn't get added into the final cut the it was said on set the only person who ever took this project seriously was Bella Lugosi himself. Yeah. Um. There's so Bella is Bella is such an interesting interesting person. He really really is. But the movie itself, if I just go back to it before I start jumping into Bella, because I will not fucking stop. I am bored <laughs> and to death with this today. Um. It's got this. Plot lines that are not tied up. Mm-hmm. Lucy's been one of them. Yeah. Um, there is scenes that don't make any sense with regards to Renfield and Dracula. There is so much taken out. Now, apparently, these these scenes that were to complete the movie are actually still there. 
just nobody wants to because i don't think i think the license now on dracula is like gone like it's free for all he, his image can be used so i don't think money wise it would make anything from it but they do exist somewhere i know that if you watch because a lot of people don't know this but at the same time simultaneously the spanish obviously the spanish <laughs> spoke one uh speaking one was filmed which was a first of its kind, you know, the fact that they'd actually filmed the entire same movie in Spanish with different, act like, fluent um, Spanish of actors. The, yeah. There is, um, some of the, there is some of the original taken from it and put yeah. in, I have learned so much about this movie today. But that runs 30 minutes longer than the original because they kept a lot of the scenes in. Because yes. Carl Lemley didn't have a say. For some reason, he didn't have a say so much over the the, the Spanish-speaking one as he did over the English-speaking because he was the one that wanted a lot of the things cut down, cut out. He said it made it – he hated the noises that Dwight Fry made when he died and the same with Bella when he dies. Yeah. He, he hated the screams. that He said they were a bit too erotic or a bit too um, uh, disturbing and they made him sick to his stomach and he just didn't like them, so he wanted them either toned down or the scenes had to be cut. It's so close to Todd Browning's vision that it could have been Todd Browning's movie. Mm. That's from one of the documentaries I watched today about this. I had no idea this was even a thing, this even existed. It scores 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm. What, the Spanish-speaking one? Spanish one. Um, it was a thing that Universal wanted to try out. They wanted to, every movie that they did, they wanted it to be able to transcend into a different language. Yeah. And they chose Spanish because there's a lot of people in America who can who speak Spanish. And there is um there is still certain scenes. The opening scene, which is read by the delightful um oh my gosh, what's her name? Carla Carla Lemley. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um it that's still in there. The first woman to ever speak in a horror movie. That's her credit. And was the last surviving cast member. She died in 2014 at the age of 104. Yes, she oh. did. Yes. Yeah. So Senior. Carla Lemley, his niece, obviously, because they like using the same name over and over again, clearly, Carl Senior, Carl Junior and Carla. Yes. Um, his niece, she was, yeah, she was the first ever female to speak in a horror movie. I mean, imagine having that credit and the fact that she lived to 104. She outlived them all. <sighs> she outlived them all. She died 10 years ago. That's mm -hmm. crazy. Um, but yeah, so she they still kept them bits in. But the the one thing that really does its discredit is Carlos. Um, oh my god, I could say his name earlier today, Villaris, who is Dracula. Right. It's a very cartoonish version of Dracula. Right. When you when you put him up against Bella's, he does not stand a chance because the one thing that this movie had that what they didn't have was Bella Lugosi. The one man who truly believed in this project so much that he did himself the massive disservice of cutting his wage. Something that will have haunted him for the rest of his fucking life. There is two big mistakes that Bella did in his life. Is The first one is the pay cut. He only got paid £500 a week. In comparison to David Manans, who played Jonathan Harker, he was getting nearly two grand a week. And it was all because he just wanted to play this part so badly. 
He played him on stage. He actually played him in the stage show. This was his movie. And how he did a massive service to himself by only asking for $500 a week because he really wanted to play Dracula. He played him on stage in the stage version of what the movie then became. And his co-star, David Manans, who played Jonathan Harker, got 2000 a week. This would be his one of his first big downfalls because studios then clicked onto the fact that Bella will do something for next to nothing. And he got next to nothing in every work he ever did after that. Yep. The sad thing was he was fifth in line for the film as well. He this wasn't he was never going to be their first first guy. No, he wasn't. Um, I did a breakdown. Because we had we had Lon Chaney, who was originally the first choice. Then there was Lou Ayres, Robert yes. Ames, and also David Manners, the guy who played Harker, was offered um Dracula before. Bella. So he he ended up being fifth in line, but because he cut his pay mm-hmm. and David wouldn't, they went with Baylor. So he just yeah. it, it set him like not to go into all of these other films, but it really set him up for failure and studios took advantage of it. I mean, he worked for the equivalent for the seven week shoot, he worked for the equivalent of seventy three thousand dollars. By today's standards, mm-hmm. back then he only took home three thousand five hundred dollars for the whole seven week run of shooting. Even Mina Harker was on more than he was. Mina, I she see. she took home like I think it ended up being nearer eighty thousand by today's standards than than he did. So, and for a woman to be on more than a man, yeah, back in back in them, them days was it was it's, something. It's just so sad, and it, uh, unfortunately, you get that a lot when you talk about Bela Lugosi, is just how sad things are were for him. Because in Hungary, in his native land of Hungary, he was a fucking star. Mm. He was top bill. He was the actor of all actors. And unfortunately, he... Sorry, someone's just buzzed my watch. How dare they? Um, unfortunately, he... When he wanted to go to America and... Americans don't play the same as Hungary. I think he did like 103 films in Hungary before he even came to America. Yeah. Like that's crazy. That is absolutely crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's it is that all of it is is really peculiar how we only know him as the original. Yeah, it mm-hmm. was just purely by the fact that he was so eager. I wouldn't say mm. desperate, I think desperate's the wrong word, but he was so eager and because he knew the part back to front from playing him mm-hmm. on the stage show and with the fact that the stage show was originated in the UK um and it was at the West End and um it it was uh, Raymond Huntley who originally played it in the UK but when they moved it to Broadway the Americans said it needed more mystery and they loved the air of the European idea of Dracula being um, more mystical, more sexy, mm-hmm. mysterious by giving him that kind of um, just that that more sexy look that we're used to, you know, the seduction thing. Yes. Um, so when they met with Baylor for the for the audition for the the, the uh, stage show, they knew he was the man straight away because obviously he'd already had the accent down because he's Hungarian. So there we go, the accent's there. I mean, whilst I know that's probably not a traditional Hungarian accent he uses in the movie. No. But, you know, he had an air of all those things that they wanted at the time. So he knew the role back to front. So when it came to being 
on the, the movie, he thought he was a shoe in in his yeah. head. He was like, of course, I know it back to front. Why wouldn't they ask me? And when they didn't, and he was going further and further down the list, he was like, how can I get to play my, my part? Because he considered it his part at that point. Yeah, it was, so- it was. And for all, we is so well known for this iconic character, this creation, this look as well, all comes from him, the widow's peak. It's all him. He only ever played him twice. Son of Dracula. No, was it? Was it, it Abbott was... and Costello? Which one no, was it? No, he didn't even do it in Abbott and Costello. It was Son of Son of Dracula. No, it wasn't that one, was it? I can't. I wish I wrote oh, it down. Now. Yeah, I don't think I wrote that one down. They did. They, I, I did find out, but I haven't written it down. I'm such an idiot. Um, but yeah, he only ever played Dracula twice. The look, the widow's peak, is his own. His own little um, take, like add on to it's. He does not have a widow's peak. He added it himself. Something that a lot of people like to point out when you're learning about the actual look of Dracula. Um, did you know? He's an interesting one for you. Did you know that there was a certain actress considered for Mina Harker, but Carl Emily Jr thought she had too much sex appeal and this certain actress did have a universal contract at the time it was betty davis really no i didn't yes one. wow and carl, carl lemley jr did not think that she would bring um what's the word innocence that's what yes it's a very innocent air to her um, yes and, and i can see not... why yeah yeah because if, if, if Betty Davis had that, if she had that husky voice from day one, then Mina totally yeah. different. Me, Lucy, yeah. absolutely, yeah. but not Mina Harker. <laughs> yeah, it, Betty Davis was shortlisted for that. Um, I was just going to say something, and I've totally forgotten. U.S. box office hit. This was yeah, yeah. It they was um George. Yeah, they took the equivalent. Uh, they took thirty-five thousand. No, that was the budget. The budget was sorry, thirty-five thousand five hundred dollars, which was the equivalent to seven point two million today. But at the box office, it took seven hundred thousand in nineteen thirty-one, which is the equivalent to fourteen million this year. And I mean, you're talking fourteen million in the height of the depression. The stock market was it the stock, stock market crash? Yeah, yeah. it was nineteen twenty-nine. It was the big depression in in um, America. That's hence why they cut a lot of corners during, in in this movie. Hence why the score wasn't done because the money wasn't there because they chose to invest it in the making of the film rather than yeah. the added extras because the they were worried that people wouldn't come. They didn't want to spend too much money on it. Um, even though Carl Junior was just begging his dad the whole time, Dad, Dad, I want to make this horror film. Make you know. I need to make this horror film. And his dad was like, I hate horror movies. This is disgusting. It will never work. Oh, so, right, so glad that Senior actually went for it in the end. Because Jesus Christ, like, they are the, they, they are the starting point of horror yeah. when it comes to modernising it at least. Um, but, yeah, the backdrop. They're talking about cuts that they made. The backdrops that were painted. They were just yeah. paint-ons, everything. It's, it's very glass. much like a Disney glass. movie. Yeah. yeah. So they painted yeah. it all on the glass and then they shot like the the, the scene of the carriages. But behind yeah. that was also paint, um, like painted scenery as well. So it was like layers upon layers upon layers. And they, I think they did a good job with today's eyes. 
you yeah. see it, but yeah, if you're watching that in 4K like I did, you're seeing everything. <laughs> <Yeah>. But <laughs> um, it's very much like Disney, like how Disney did their animation. It was just a backdrop and cells upon cells upon cells. It's no different than that. So I didn't see any issue with how they actually did this, the set of it, given that animation does it even today <laughs> but i understand when i was reading about the the crash and everything and how the massive effect that they had on it this movie probably should never have been made no not really <laughs> not in the grand scheme of things no but uh, it did and it <laughs> made 14 million in the in in the depression so that that's crazy. no that's no feat you know no. we're talking the, um, the majority of movies during um covid were making you know the, the the first I think the first few that they released did really really well, but towards the sort of middle end of lockdowns, they were making twenty million just through like home streaming. Yeah, so talking that's not a lot of difference com- compared to an actual stock market crash where everything becomes worthless. Mm-hmm. You know, we weren't in that state. We were all still in a state where we still had consumerism and we were still able to binge these things and do stuff, and our money was still worth money, whereas back then nothing was worth anything. Exactly, exactly. Um, it's just crazy. It is absolutely crazy. Um, going back to Bella and what this movie actually did for his career, and not to go into too much detail because, like, it's it's so fascinating when you're looking into the next movies that he did. But he very much typecast himself after this. And do you know why he wouldn't accept to do the second? Because they originally wanted to make a sequel to this, like right. an official sequel. So. Not Dracula 2, but, you know, like, uh, it wasn't going to be a spin-off like Son of Dracula or Dracula. Mm-hmm. This was going to be, like, the official sequel. And he didn't want to do it because he didn't want to be typecast. And he, yet he was. Yeah. And, and the the thing that you might... Everyone thinks that... Um, we know that as going through these episodes that Lon Chaney Jr. Lon Chaney, sorry, not Junior, <laughs> not this guy. And uh, not Lon, Lon Chaney was going to be the face of Universal. But a lot of people also think Boris Karloff was the face or going to be the whole structure of Universal Monsters. Not the fucking case at all. Because after Lon Chaney, once this movie is being done, all eyes are on Bella Lugosi. Yep. And Bella gets offered everything. Mm-hmm. And Bella does his second big mistake of his life or career. He turns down one of the most, if not the most iconic. It is even our image. It is even on our official posters and everything. Frankenstein. He turned down Frankenstein. And why? No, I'll let you say this one. Go on. Yeah, he had no lines. <laughs> yeah. He didn't he didn't feel it was becoming of an actor of his Standard. Basically. Yeah. yeah. It's the theatre. It's a theatre. It's in him. Um, such a shame because the way that I was looking at it was like the reason Dracula works for her is because of his performance. Yes. He is he is performing to he is on a hundred. And if he could have taken that hundred and put it into Frankenstein, it would have still worked. But he couldn't because he couldn't get around the fact that his performance doesn't just come from him talking in Dracula. It's his facial expressions. It's his movement. And he couldn't even like that. And he couldn't even 
think that he could translate that into Frankenstein because there was no words, yet Boris Karloff did it seamlessly. Mm-hmm. And Boris then becomes the Universal's it boy because Boris says yes. Boris says please. Boris says thank you. Boris will do whatever it is you ask of him. But Bella will question it. And do you know why? It is purely, I mean, Boris, I don't think Boris had done much theatre prior to being in the movies. He was a British kid, emigrated, Mm -hmm. and fell into movies at a young age. Do you know, when I I mean a young age, he was like... um, he wasn't it wasn't all about being famous for for Boris that wasn't no. the thing it wasn't the that I must give the best performance of my life every time mm-hmm. I turn the camera turns on but that's what it was for Baylor every yeah. performance he ever ever does even the gypsy yeah everything has to be just right and that's why people didn't like working with Baylor because they said he was uh, a method actor which meant yeah. that he for those of you that don't know it's called the Stanislavski theory. Um, <laughs> he was basically he lived as the character in front of everybody. Yes, when he was off screen and on screen because he didn't want to break the dynamic. He wanted them to think he was that person. He wanted them to fear them. And a lot of actors use that that approach even today. Daniel Lewis is very very famous for it. Yeah, quite quite a few actors really don't like to socialize with other cast members if they're being like the bad guy mm-hmm. um, because they feel it 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 will take their general their, their genuine reactions away when they're filming and things like that, which makes perfect sense to me. But back then, that it was rude. <laughs> it was yeah, really especially rude. with him swooshing his cape <laughs> around everyone's face when he was walking past them. I see where he's coming from. I wouldn't yeah. have minded. I would have thought it was absolutely brilliant. But you're <laughs> right. Karloff was very much for the money. In the nicest way possible. Like, he loved the work he was doing. It's just, he, he had a family. He, he had to pay for it. And it, when, you, when they did an interview with um, Boris's daughter... And Bella's son. Yes. And they both said exactly the same thing. The fathers were two very different people. Boris was a tea-loving Englishman. And Bella was a Hungarian wine-drinking, cigar-smoking guy. (laughs) Excess man. Very different, two different, and a romantic as well. And that is very much the performances that you get every time with Bella, with Sorry, I keep changing his name all the time. His name is Bela Lugosi. Yeah. But because of the way that we look at it, we say Bella, and I'm getting so used to saying Bella when in actual fact it's Bela. Yeah, I heard Christopher Lee pronounce it. Um, oh, did Bela he say Bela? Yeah, Bela Lugosi is, is his official Lugosi. pronunciation. Yeah, it's Lugosi is where he's from. Yeah, they dumbed it area. Because they yeah. said that the Americans didn't like the, and I'm going to use this 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 term, and it's like I hate the term, but I can't think of a nicer way to say it. They didn't like the foreign um, connotations. Mm-hmm. They didn't yeah. think that their their brains could fathom, you know, to be able to pronounce Bail and Lagoshi. For God's yeah. sake, it's not difficult, but you know, yeah, racism, thirties. There we are. So I'm sorry if I'm flicking between the two. I've watched a lot of documentaries where people have said, we're just going to go with Bella because it just it's just 
what we are so used to seeing. But it, a lot of people get very angry. Christopher Lee probably would be one of them because he is very much about pronunciation oh, yeah. and making sure that words are said properly. If anyone watches anything to do with his work with Lord of the Rings and Tolkien, he is a stickler for shit like that. So mm-hmm. he would have pronounced it completely and utterly Baylor. Um, yeah. So sorry, there might be a little Baylor tangent there. <laughs> I just realised I was doing it. Well, no, Christopher Lee was such a fan he had a replica ring made um, of Baylor's ring. You know, the little signet ring he wears? Mm-hmm. Um, and he wore it. they got a red stone in it or something. That was the Dracula ring. Uh-huh. But he had there was a signature ring that he used to wear, a signet ring, um, that Baylor used to wear all the time. And he used to wear it on his little finger. So when you watch the Hammer Horror movies, he wears it, Christopher Lee, um, in the mm-hmm. Hammer Horror movies. It's not... Do you know what? I have never, ever watched one horror, horror a hammer horror movie they're different as as a country we sometimes can't knock things on the head too too well we don't mm. quite take it to that that place yeah. um, hammer horror i love it it's an institution a british institution peter cushion you know uh christopher oh, yeah. lee the the people that have come out of that you cannot even you know I, i'm not putting it down by any stretch of the imagination but if you watch some of them they just come across as a bit carry on now when you watch them back they have that sort of flair where they're so camp it kind of almost hits comedy on some of them they don't they don't sit well with the the horror horror aspect i totally get what you mean because i i'm not a fan of carry on films i never was um i never got that side of our comedy there's some things in i love british comedy I love a lot of British comedy. I think we can do things very fucking funny. But there's some things that I can't get away with and Carry On was one of them. I I, I just am not a fan at all. I think the thing is with Hammer, it is very serious. It's not supposed to be comedic in, in any way. And I mean, I'm, I'm looking at it with today's eyes. When I first saw some of the movies, yeah, I you know, they were like, it was like, oh, he, he's a creepy vampire. But the difference between Christopher Lee's Dracula and the difference mm-hmm. between Baylor's Dracula was teeth. Mm-hmm. Baylor never had the pointed teeth. Not That's once right. did you see um, him bite a woman's neck and leave the, the marks. They yeah. are just nude to the marks. You never see the pointed teeth at all in that film. So where that came from was originally the Bram Stoker book, the teeth. Um, hence why... This is a, it's a weird one, but um, Bram Stoker, the book flopped. It never yeah, it did, didn't it? However, the book has never been out of print since 1897. That book has never been out of print. Wow. Which is 127 years. I mean, that's a long time to keep a book in print. Imagine having a first edition copy of that. Ooh. Bloody hell, yeah. But the, the issue with that was that once that book came out, there was two movies that predated the universal movie yeah uh you had dracula's death which was a hungarian movie and then you had the german movie that we all know about which was nosferatu yes uh, with max schreck now that is a piece of art cinema gold it is it is a talk it's a it's a silent movie not talky and it's it's um it is based on dracula now Mm -hmm. what they didn't do was get the rights for the book Right. From, you know, so they got sued 
by Bram Stoker's people. Uh huh. Um, and the, the studio went into administration had to shut down because they had they were sued so badly over the making of Nosferatu because they what? didn't seek, they didn't seek the rights or permission to to use a vampire. They didn't even use the name. Nope. But Nos, you know, it it, it it literally broke the movie studio. So they originally thought that Nosferatu and Dracula's death were both what they call forgotten movies, which are ones that don't survive. There's no copy. Um, you just you you never hear of it ever again. But they did find. Obviously, we know that they found Nosferatu mm-hmm. because it's been released and everything. And I've got my little fella there, my little Nosferatu, and going to be re-released, redone, and yep. released in October. I'm actually quite looking forward to it. I'm not going to lie. I know he will do a good job. Yeah, if you don't know, um, Bill starts. Oh, yes, Bill. Yeah. Um. I'm not. I I want to see some originality. I am one of these people. I'm not a fan of remakes, reboots, redos. Mm-hmm, However, mm-hmm. I will give them a chance because yeah. I always think to myself, there could be that one that comes along that could completely surprise me. Like with Black Christmas, the yeah. remake and the redo. It, it was. It was. It worked. It worked. Yeah. Um, <laughs> However, this is a, a, a. I think it came out. 1920-something, so 1921, one I want to say uh, Nosferatu came out, it was around about then. I thought it was later than that. It might have been a bit later, I didn't write down the year, but it it was in the 1920s, so it predates the actual Dracula movie itself. I have a Google right here. (laughs) (laughs) It it might have been 1928, I've got one or 21 or 28 in my head, I could be completely wrong for both of those, which I probably am. But uh, No, you no. what did you say? 21 or 28? 22. Oh, well, close. There we go. No oh, biscuit. gosh, I'm very bright. <laughs> That's what Google but, um, does. Yeah, so, I mean, the book itself has had a lot of uh, stick. And, and like I said, it was a flop, but it only started picking up a bit of steam once the 1931 movie had come out from Universal because, oh. obviously, people were intrigued and they wanted to read more yeah. about it. So then it started to pick up steam and people were more interested and book sales went through the roof to do with it. But at that point, Bram Stoker had already passed away. Bram Stoker had died in 1912 and he didn't get to see any of this. He didn't get to see any any movies, success of his book or anything. But they also thought... Oh, thank you for continuing (laughs) because... They also thought that he had... um, Everybody thinks that Bram Stoker is the guy that invented Dracula. They think he's the guy that oh, took the no. legend of Vlad the Impaler and made it a, a mainstream story because obviously mm. we all know about the Vlad the Impaler. But what actually happened was there was two books that predated uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula that were about vampires. Um, one was in 1819. So we're talking that long ago, mm. and it was called The Vampire. The second one was in 1872, and that was called Carmilla. And they were both stories about vampires seducing women, the world, just the world. Oh, the world. Um, (laughs) We won't start small kids, go (laughs) for the world. But, you know, like giving off the idea. But, however, they just didn't have that same romanticism that I think Bram Stoker's had. I mean, he was just some little weird Irish guy. Uh, from Dublin that he he had a mysterious illness up until the age of seven that left him bedridden 
he didn't get out of bed for his first seven years of his life, Bram Stoker. Um, wow. They still don't know, well, they never knew what it was because uh, obviously the 1800s a bit old, but, you know. <laughs> I mean, he's lucky that he, he lived as long as what he did. Um, I have well, never found an interest in in Bram Stoker at all. Like, I've never, Dracula, I hate to say this, Dracula is not one of my favourites. Yes. Um, even though, and I pointed this out before, <laughs> my phone case is the Dracula cover, which I find absolutely beautiful, um, but it's because they didn't have the Frankenstein one. So I bought that one instead. <laughs> but yes, I am not a... I don't know what it is about Dracula that I just do not find appealing. However, however, doing research for this, I have found Bela more interesting. And with that comes Dracula. Kind of, I, I feel like them two come hand in hand. I feel like when Bram Stoker was writing it, he took into consideration a lot of factors that I don't think maybe the, the, two, the two books that predated it did. He did research on um, all the Serbian and old Russian folklores mm. and to do with the Upia, which is the Russian, old, Ru- old Russian name for vampire. Upia. Oh. And, uh, it's basically in in Serbia before there was a massive war. I can't remember. I didn't write down what year it was, but there was a huge war where Serbia was in the middle, and the two countries either side went at it. And it was a culture shock for the two countries that fought in Serbia because when they were in the little villages, they were seeing the little village folklore customs and the strange things that they were doing in their burial rituals and stuff mm. like that they would bury the dead with a full casket of garlic. They would tie the bells to the toes and oh, have the bells yeah. on the headstones because they were worried they were going to reanimate. Like we had it over here in case we you buried someone alive. It but- originated from Italy. It was um, oh, the plague thing, wasn't it? Like it they was were worried somebody- they- yeah. yeah, but it was Italy who kind of ki- the oh god, you the, you should see how many systems came in place for this type of thing with the the rope on the toe or the on the hand. Yeah. What they used to do in Italy, which is where it kind of originated from, the idea of it all came from, was they would leave them in the morgue for at least a couple of weeks and they would leave them with their hand on the on the bell. And if and they were just obviously it's a freezer room. So people just up and left it. They would just pile their dead in there. And if bells started ringing, they would start coming in. But there were so many systems made. I hate that I have researched this. Um, <laughs> where they would have actual pulley systems mm. in place to be able to allow the person to get out themselves. Yeah. Or to be able to communicate like with a pipe going up and they would have oxygen coming in and it is crazy the lengths that they went to over that. Yeah, I mean, the two countries were very, very, either side of Serbia, were, like, taken aback by, you know, their customs. And, and one of the, the biggest custom, which is where they think that this originated from, and I've got it written, I have got it written down here, um, the, the story started in the 11th century to do with vampires, right? Predates Christianity, oh. predates Christianity, the vampire law. So... I'm not saying there's truth in it. I'm just saying this, it, there's something going on there. But the the biggest thing that used to happen was when they were, when they buried their dead, 
the they not bury them six feet like we do. That's a new concept. They just throw a bit of yeah over the top. So obviously, when the body started to bloat, it looked like they were coming out of the the dirt. You know, like they've been up and they've walked around. So they thought. So when they used to, as horrible as it sounds, they used to cl- not clean the body but dust the body down. They'd see blood coming out of the mouths because decomp. It's fluid. Decomp. Fluid. Yes, you know. And not of it. With today's eyes, decomp. But the scared old little bub- Baba Yagas, you know, the little old ladies, the old Babas, would think, oh, my God, they've been up and they've eaten something and they've drunk some blood and oh my that's God. in their heads. They were like, you know, the, the dead are walking. So, that yeah, is that's- crazy, that, like, I have learned, I have done, I, I watch a lot of programs on death. Because, <laughs> <laughs> and I read a lot of books as well. At the moment, I'm reading about um, funeral arrangements in all and how different they are all across the world. And it's so interesting how, from we are so, oh, we are so, in, in America is exactly the same. It's such a business. Death is such a business, and in the rest of the world, it is a, it it is life, it is celebration, it is yeah. it is a is a party. It's and it's it, it's so sad that we have that, um, and that's what I'm reading at the moment. But again, it was when saying business, death were the whole funeral arrangements and embalming and everything does come from America. Yeah, um, they created it all, and it was all money. Well, that's the thing. Because embalming didn't take place back then. It was it's more of a modern practice. It's very much yeah. um late eighteen hundreds, maybe. Yeah, oh, so it might be a bit earlier, I can't remember. In a little village in Serbia, you know, it wasn't yeah. sort of the first thing that they thought, oh yeah, this person's dead, let's drain all their fluids and pump them full of this alcohol poison. You put the, you, but they wouldn't pickle, they you wouldn't know with that. <laughs> no, like, that's not so, I look, do you know what? My mind is like totally blown. And I think it's probably because of like the path that I'm on reading wise at the minute. I'm like, oh my God, that's so interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that makes so much sense. Like, of course they would think that, okay, mind blown. <laughs> <laughs> they, did, they just didn't have the knowledge. That's the thing. And back in the 11th century, you wouldn't. So no? there would be these rumors of these people that would get out from the grave and they would be alive and they would eat things and people, because back then cattle would go missing um and, and and people would go missing back in back in the day you know they could have just up and moved yeah the cattle could have been stolen for food but no it was the clearly that dead body of that person that had blood trickling out of their mouth so I mean, let's be honest if i was living in them times yeah. like hysteria would have taken over i would have been the one re- like yeah that would have been me i'd have totally <laughs> believed it i am so gullible it's ridiculous <laughs> Yeah, I, it 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 genuinely surprised me when I when I was when I was reading about all that sort of you know the origins of how they looked into it. But the fact that it predates Christianity to me, it, that that was like, oh my god, I didn't think. I mean, you know, every town has its folklores. Yeah, For something to last as long as it has from the 11th century to now. The the, the stories because there's still little villages in Romania that still practice the bell system. To this day. Wow. I thought it was yes. like a, a a thing well past now. I mean, bloody hell, the, um, the graveyard in Scotland, Greyfriars Bobby, that is, a, um, that is a graveyard upon a graveyard upon a graveyard upon a graveyard. I could keep on going. Yeah. 
but it is literally just it was part of the plague um mary's queen scots uh dead was all slumped in there the plague victims were all slumped in there and they were literally just buried upon buried upon buried upon like edinburgh is so deep mm-hmm. and that graveyard is just as deep and then yeah, you've we... got the the more recent residents yeah. sitting on the top we've been there quite a few times and we stay in the grass market um, where, which is where Greyfriars Beautiful is. Beautiful place. And uh, we, we've we done a couple of walks around Greyfriars and we've also been down into Mary Queen of Scots. Yeah. Into the, the catacombs and the tunnels and stuff like that. So it is an eye-opener. But, yeah, it's, it's just crazy to me to think that in the 1800s, he was, ava- he was ready to – he had the ability to find this information out back then. Mm-hmm. I mean, the research – he must have done because he also then went into Vlad Tepesh, which we all know is Vlad the Impaler, um, which he got his name through. Not a, not a very not a very nice man. No, but he no. he has a nice castle which I want to go to one day. <laughs> I think my auntie has been. Um, yeah, my auntie, yeah, my auntie did a, um, a retirement tour. And went off to Transylvania, went off to Romania, went off and did. And she's not, I would never say she's essentially like a horror fan. It's just more out of interest. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's done all them. And she said it was absolutely stunning. You can't put into words what you're looking we, at. We were going to go for my 40th, but obviously COVID hit. So it God damn you, like, COVID. Yeah, bastard. But um, what made me laugh, changing the subject a little bit, was... When we said about like how Baylor turned down doing it because he didn't want to be typecast. Yeah. It was the same with um, Helen Chandler, who played Mina. She didn't want to keep playing the damsel in distress in movies. So she didn't want to take the second one. And also the funniest quote I've ever heard from something back then was the guy who Edward Van Sloan, who played Van Helsing, mm-hmm. wrote a letter to his nephew. And it was, and it was, he, he quoted the movie as being, overplayed overwritten and altogether lousy that's what he thought about the film wow but it's so funny that you mentioned her because the guy who played renfield was exactly the same he didn't want to be typecast and yet he was for the rest of his career he was he was essentially renfield it just in different forms yeah, in, as in Igor, but he wasn't called Igor in that. He was called something else, wasn't he? I've yes. gone blank on what, he, what his name was in Frankenstein. But Dwight Fry plays the most great, oh. I, I mean, to use crazy oh. PC term these days, I don't know. But the, the just the look of intensity that guy could get out of his eyes. The scene where he's walking towards the, the camera and he's it's almost, it's not like he's looking at it, like like he's looking through it and he's looking at you. Yeah, you and see it's the extent oh, of his madness from the from the minute he goes yeah. in on the coach to sit down and talk to him about you know his affairs and be the sensible guy, or the Jonathan Harker Keanu Reeves character gets kind of mashed into Renfield in the Bram yeah. Stoker, uh, the the Gary Oldman one, but in this Renfield and and Jonathan are two separate different people. Mm-hmm. But the, the way he goes there, and you can see him; he's very well put together. And he's talking to Baylor as he's coming down the stairs and he's like, oh, blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm here to do your uh, affairs for, um, was it Claire Fax Abbey? Something Fax Abbey, wasn't it? Where in, in Whitby, basically, he talks oh, about yes. Yes, Whitby yes. Abbey. And um, he sits down with him and you can see he's just a very well put together gentleman. And then as the film goes on, you just see his descent into madness. Mm. It's like it, it goes from the point of where, 
the look of intensity on his face. He just, I don't think I've seen anyone pull off that level of madness apart from Willem Dafoe. He has that same. That is so crazy because what I was going to talk, what I was going to ask earlier on was about this whole Nostroferatu thing and Bill Starsky playing him. I genuinely thought William Defoe was playing him. In my head, I thought William Defoe was playing him because he's Van Helsing. But he would be perfect for it. I'm just needing to knock my camera over and everything. But he would be <laughs> perfect for it. It's just because I could just pick, I just think he's got such a face for, oh. I he's think got such a face for horror. <laughs> yeah, he, does, he really does. He plays, for, for me, the equivalent, okay, I know it's not a bloody good movie and it's not got like reviews but spider-man where he plays a green goblin even <gasps> in no way home when you watch him even 20 years later from doing it with toby Maguire mm -hmm. to doing it in no way home he has not lost that fucking that nut job that no. that's not pc is it daniel no but you know that, that descent <laughs> into madness where he's talking to the mask like it's a separate part of him and he's still got that look, that look on his face, which he doesn't do in any other film. Mm, it, no. It is that, that oh, the same intensity level as Dwight Fry. But, I mean, I I hold Dwight Fry as, like... It wasn't until he's today... He's standout for me in that film, to be oh, honest. Totally. Oh, totally. I mean, Lugosi, for so many other other reasons take the iconicism out of it his performance is absolutely perfect like his his mannerisms he has how we know dracula now yeah. and if you if, if you hadn't seen this movie and then you go back you're like oh yeah i get it that you know he he, he was i mean he obviously originated it but he he got it but it does not take away from that intense level that he gives as um Oh my god, I forget his name. Sorry, my brain is just like a mush at the moment. Um, what's his name? Ren Renfield. Yeah, Renfield. Yeah. Yes, Renfield. Oh my god, I was watching. I was watching this documentary, and it's something I never even noticed. Is literally where he is crawling towards the camera, and I'm like, holy shit! Like, please stop! Like, <laughs> just, just, just go away, because <laughs> it's so intense. His face is it's magical. It yeah. is absolutely magical to look at. Um, I could not watch this movie. Again, by the way, I watched it last year. That was fucking enough. <laughs> so I have done everything else but watch this movie for this. <laughs> I think the it's a lot to be said, though. In 1931, middle of the Depression, the movie's been made. They market it at the box office. Mm -hmm. And this is where it originated. So I've so I've, so the research suggests, you know, this nonsense that you get now when you're you watch something on Netflix or or a film comes out and people walk out of the cinema or they faint because it's too much for them to watch. Mm. So you get that kind of mass hysteria in, around a movie. Yeah. Well, this is where it originated. Really? Dracula was genuinely the movie where this genuinely happened. It wasn't like a, um, it wasn't a, a market employee like they use it now. It was the genuine thing. Women were fainting in the cinemas because it was unlike anything they'd ever seen. Oh, yeah, I read um, about that. And they marketed. Then the journalists, all the all the journalists, used it to their advantage. Um, and then Universal hooked on to the fact that it was a good marketing ploy. Mm -hmm. So they started pushing the film because films were in the cinema for a long time back in the mm. day. It wasn't just 
Oh, not like a no. month run. It was mm-hmm. like they'd be in there for a good six months, the movies. And this one was like, you must see it. You'll pass out. You could possibly faint. And it intrigued so many people. Just to see if they would. Just to see if they would. <laughs> they went, you know, they paid their like 50 cents or 25 cents or whatever it was and, and went and watched the movie just to see if they could pass out, you know. I, I'm not gonna lie I'd probably be one of those people <laughs> um, yeah and then I'm I walk out going that was a load of shit well <laughs> I'm still waiting for that movie now to do that to us in all honesty I yeah. am still I'm waiting for that movie that's gonna scare the living shit out of us to like where I could physically like I remember um someone who when they watched the ring couldn't they had to sleep with the light on they put drapes over their telly I have never had that experience what? apart from dolls um, Oh, there she is! There she is. When they redid it in, oh god, when did it? They they bought it out again, nineteen ninety something. Was it when they? Sorry for anyone listening on. um, Oh yeah, Dan has just flashed, and Dan has just flashed me her Regan T-shirt. Um, it's amazing. I think I have that one in short sleeve. This is a big sweater. It's an oversized jumper. I think I have the. I think I have the her face. I can't wear it when I go yeah. to my mother-in-law's. She, <laughs> my mother-in-law is one of the is one of the people who went to see it when it originally came out and yeah. had to leave because of how much it affected her. Yeah. Um, but did they really? Did they do that in the nineties for when it actually because they took it off view? Like you weren't able to buy it or anything. It kind of yeah. came like a, a banned movie, didn't it? Yeah, because I I went to see it at the cinema by myself. Amazing. Um, when it was re-released and it gave me the heebie-jeebies. Um, really? It wasn't the film. The f- yeah. As in the storyline, a girl gets possessed by a devil, blah, 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 you know, or, or a demon or whatever, yeah. whatever you read into it because everybody says it's something different. But um, it was the atmosphere that came with the movie. It was that mm-hmm. feeling when you watch it on the big screen, you don't get it on the t- from when you watch it on the TV. I've never, I've never actually seen it. If you the- get a chance, it's this horrible... Anticipate. I could have just flashed that. <laughs> it's my mouse mat. <laughs> it was the pure silence. Everybody knew what was coming because everybody's seen the film. But it was like this, like I say, it was the anticipation. It was like a static in the air. And I walked out of that cinema and I checked the back seat in my car for the first time ever. Really? And I never, I'm not, I'm not one of those people. You never are not. People. I was... 17 18 i think when it came back out again around that age and all that night i was it just made it just stayed with me you know that whole like really uncomfortable feeling and you couldn't wash it off you just couldn't shake it and and it, i knew my rational brain was going it's just a film you're not yeah. watching it now but my brain was going but i just still had that ick that that real I don't know what the word is. It just stays with me. Yeah. I've had movies stay with me for many reasons, um, probably because I'm just questioning them in my head. What what have I just watched? Um, (laughs) But I've never had that one movie. Uh, See, I always reference the first horror that I watched that scared the ever-living shit out of us, which was Dolly Dearest. And I I know the effect it had on me now because of I could not own baby dolls. But I couldn't tell you the feeling that I had at that time. I generally can't remember because as soon as I realized that nothing was happening, 
I wanted more. And that's where my journey of horror starts is right there at about eight year old. Um, But I've never come close in my adult life to being like, Oh, that's that's got us. And demons might uh, Dario Argento's demons had a little, a little because I if you've not seen Demons, oh, you've got to. It has one of the best movie soundtracks. Saxon, fucking playing through it. It's brilliant. Um, but the ending, I'm breathing. I'm like, I'm breathing. We're over it. The the credits are rolling. This is it. They got out the run and they're on the truck. Everything's fine. Movie's not fucking over. The attack is not fucking over. And I sat there for ages in absolute (gasps) shock. He he has a a knack. I think it's a lot to do with the cinematography in both those, in in The Exorcist and obviously in this one, Mm -hmm. um, how they film it. With The Exorcist, for me, it felt very much ahead of its time in respect of that. It felt a bit like a documentary even though it wasn't a documentary because these seemed like real people and they seemed on the wall. Like, yeah, it it seemed like a real thing that was happening and the use of sound where they pump up the volume on certain things. And then Mm -hmm. for a long time, it was very, very quiet and there was a lot of dialogue, but it was very monotonal. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden something would happen and it it would like, Oh, it jar you. And and I feel like Dario was a master of that himself as well. And taking something that was beautiful and making it really ugly. He was yes. so good at doing that. So, I mean, I have met him and I did have a conversation with him once. Um, he doesn't speak English. He had a translator. Oh, I didn't know amazing. it was Dario Argento at the time. <laughs> 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 because he came to Horicon at Sheffield many years oh, ago. Wow. And uh, he came up and um, I think it was the first year we sponsored it. So we're going back 2018, maybe, maybe before then someone will know that's watching this and um he came up and had a conversation he was like do you have anything from this movie that movie and I was like no they're really hard to get get hold of like any mm-hmm. kind of I you know any any kind of merchandise to do with that because I don't think there's an IP out there I don't know if they can get hold of it and then as he walked away the translator came back and went that's Dario Argento I went what oh I wondered who the Italian man was, but I didn't like to say just in case. <laughs> it's like, I love that story. <laughs> Maybe putting my foot in it as usual, but yeah. But no, like... it's a truthful matter because when it comes to his movies, there is not a great, um, he's a very niche director and there's not a lot of merch out. The only thing that comes to my recollection is Killstar doing yeah. a range last year. You have a I've got one of the shirts, yeah. Yeah, I, I know Killstar did. Oh, Killstar have got a new campaign coming out, which I'm so fucking excited for. My husband even saved the leaflet for us when he bought me Christmas presents from them. Twin Temple. Fucking cannot wait. Let's have a satanic OG. Oh, I'm gonna. Um, <laughs> <laughs> have we got any more about uh, Dracula? Yes. Did you know that when they were filming it, and I don't know whose decision this was, whether it was Todd's, whether it was... Um, the studios or whether it was Baylor's, he doesn't blink once. His from it was what, his. It, from a documentary I watched today, he made the decision not to blink because he wanted the dead wouldn't blink. Yeah, no, that's true. They don't need to re-moisturize their eyeballs, do they? No. <laughs> yeah. no. And that was the decision he made. When it comes to all the characteristics of Dracula, it all comes from him. Yeah, like right. when they say like he was invested, fully invested, mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, Todd Browning did not die. It's just it's one documentary I saw where they mentioned it. The the other thing that I feel a bit sorry for him because, as you well know, he yeah. he was the nation's god for 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 a little while, and then he just could not get cast in anything for a long oh. period of time. No. However, after he died, they managed to get a star on the Walk of Fame. Yeah, for him, and that where it ended so up good. is so bloody unfortunate. Um, I've seen it. I've been there. <clears throat> it's literally right across from the Smythesmology building no. on the Hollywood frame. It's there. The 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 building is there. Mm-hmm. Baylor's is literally just as you cross over towards it. Now I've walked up that road, and they all look like they're wearing blockbuster uniforms. If you can remember what the light blue shirt was with the yes. chinos. Yeah, so you avoid them, you cross the road and you walk past Baylor. So in a way, it's a good thing because you get to see a star. You get to see him. <laughs> but yeah, I highly would not recommend going down that end of the town. And it's not the greatest <sighs> part. Where Baylor's is, you start to go into downtown so that you've got all the tents, the shanty tents, towns. I, yeah, it's, so um, it's very, very unfortunate that that's... They cost a lot of money. They they And that probably would have had to be fundraised because... And we will we will go into Baylor's life in another episode, but he did not come out on top financially, um, because yeah. you know he made some really bad choices. And when I was saying Anthony earlier, when it, when you they, it's just it's so sad talking about him because I just feel heartbroken for him because of the passion that he had. Um, mm-hmm. Edward, the movie done yes. by Tim Burton, um, someone, yeah. Was it Martin Lando? Yeah, Why did awesome. I want to say Frank Langella? <laughs> it was Martin Why Lando. the fuck did I want to say Frank Langella for? <laughs> um, but yes, it, Martin Lando. He scary plays him, doesn't he? It's Some, scary. There was someone in a documentary. Who was it? Um, and I don't know why. Oh, my God. The guy from Trading Places. Um, oh, what's his name? I've got it written down here because we did the other day. Ran, um, Ralph Bellamy. He kept appearing in a lot of the documentaries I was watching and I was meant to go back and find out why because I don't know if he was a fan or if he was actually because he did a ton of movies I think he did 109 before he no no I can't remember the actual figure do not 99 he did 99 movies before he did as he was doing trading places and I was thinking god if he's done 99 movies could he have potentially have been a part of that era um but he was the one who who mentioned it. It was him. Now I can't remember what we we're talking about. What we we're talking about? <laughs> um, just Baylor and, and like his star. But like that's it. That's the that, that's another thing because obviously stars are dependent on where they are on the Walk of Fame. Yeah, they have to. The estate pays for the for the star, so they pay for one amount. Right. They then pay a rental system on the position of the star. Fuck. Family or the estate are then liable for the upkeep of the star. Mm-hmm. So it's not just a one-off payment and you get your star. Or it's not like the city of California uh, of LA goes, have a star. No, no. Millions of dollars goes That's into crazy. buying a star. So you see these people going, I've got my star on the Walk of Fame. They've paid for that and they will yeah. continue paying for that well after they're dead. Their estate will have to pay for that or they dig it up and take it away. Yeah. It's yes. that savage. It is that savage, the Walk of Fame. Um, it's, uh, it's not great. But no, what I was saying, Ed Wood, that was it. Yeah. So Martin Lando, it was Ralph Bellamy who said 
when you watch him play him, you think to yourself, shit, is he come back from the dead? <laughs> because of how good he was. However, there is a lot of characteristics that have not availed that his family have been quite vocal about. The swearing. Bill mm -hmm. was not a swearer. He was a gentleman. Mm -hmm. Um the certain the obviously which one which we will go into the feud with Chorus with Bor Chorus Barloff, Boris Karloff. Boris Karloff. Oh, the the most famous line, or the, my most favorite line, I should say, from Edward is Karloff, fuck you. Um <laughs> yes, that is I can see that playing in my head when you said that. <laughs> the limey cocksucker. I fucking love that line. Um but it, it's a work of fiction, just yeah. like a lot of Hollywood feuds were, and it is something that we will go into one day. Um, the funeral. Yes, it was a choice of his family, not, not his wishes, his. which yes. I find bizarre. Because, okay, yeah, that's what everybody knew him for. But if you were going to have a photographer, an open coffin, take a photo of said person... Oh in the cape, in the coffin, which they did as well, which I yeah, found very strange. Um, but grief is what it is, and people cope in different ways. It's not for me to judge it's how they so, it you've got in. You've got to think, it's so old Hollywood to do that. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, he died in the 1950s. That that time, it wasn't really looked upon. But in the 20s and 30s, the era he was coming up in, it was very much a thing to have photographers look at Rudolph Valentino's funeral. Yeah, no. very highly foot foot like photographed. Um, a lot of oh god, who was it? Um, oh, one of his girlfriends kept doing a fainting act every two minutes, and that's what got the 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 photographers to stay. But that's what they did. It was publicity. Yeah. And, and so I can kind of understand in that stretch, but yeah, it was not. He did not in Edward you, in the movie. You see him looking for caskets. He didn't do that. He was very much scared of death. Um, he wanted to live. <laughs> Surprisingly, with his habits, he wanted to live. <laughs> yeah, because he. I, I've literally been past the apartment. Like I went on the Dearly Departed tour many, many a time when I've been in LA, and they drive you past. And you, you pause outside of mm. um, 50, I think it's uh, 56020 uh, Harold Way, which is where his apartment was. What a memory. And he, sometimes things stick in there. Numbers always do. But, yeah, it, he was found unresponsive by his fifth wife at the time, and her name yeah. was Hope. And she was the one who he accredited to getting him out of his addiction spiral that he was in at the time. Um. Obviously, we'll go more into all that if we ever, when we eventually get around to doing Baylor. But there is a photo um, on the internet of them taking Baylor out of the apartment. He's blanketed; you don't see anything. But mm -hmm. what you do see is the one thing that he held most dear to him, which was a floor-to-ceiling painting, oil painting that someone did of him with a bowler hat in his hand and a coat over his arm. And it was this massive, great big painting, but he took it to every house. And he, it was the one thing he refused to sell yeah. of all of his goods, no matter how poor he was, he refused to sell this painting. That was his, that was his. Yeah. Um, and, and the sad thing was they, in this photo, you see the picture as they're wheeling him out and they oh. caught that one image. And it was just like, wow, 
that that was yeah it, it was weird because it was just like he's in two places at once because the, yeah. the, the, the oil painting was so fantastic he's his light i mean it, there was a rumor that um he was in such a bad place that frank sinatra paid for his funeral it's not true no it's, it's not it he was his money towards it it was his fifth and fourth wife who paid for it. Yeah. Um, but he, he put money towards his rehabilitation. That was it. I knew he put money something because they told me on the tour that he paid for his funeral. And yeah, it wasn't yeah. until I looked into it recently, just now, that they that I was that I found out he didn't. No. But he did give him money for his rehab because he was worried about him and they had been passing friends, but Yeah, they weren't like it. they weren't like friendly friendly. They were just like yeah. passing acquaintances. And I think he I think Frank Sinatra had a bit of a soft spot for him. Frank did. If you if if he liked you, you were set for life with Frank Sinatra. Yeah. He was one of those people he would go above and beyond to to help somebody if he felt they needed it or if if you know if he liked you. But if you got on the wrong side of him, cool. But <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, he's one and all. He, I mean, he's he's my grand. He was my grandfather's like all time favorite. He again is an in incredibly interesting man. Really interesting and very complex, and by today's standard, a bit gross if we look into it. But you know, that's and, that's, that's another time. <laughs> yeah, taking the personal like the personal side of it, he was a fucking brilliant actor as well. I mean, just. Uh, he could sing, he could act, he could be an arsehole. Um, yeah. What was I, I going to say? I will say that I do think out of... <laughs> there's lots of people that have played Dracula since yeah. the inception of the very first movie. So we'll go back to the Hungarian movie and Nosferatu because they're roughly in the same time era that they came mm -hmm. out. So from those movies to, to this movie to then the 200 movies that have gone after. I didn't even count. Yeah, as that actually states there's over 200 movies been made to do with, with Dracula in, including my favourite, Billy the Kid versus Dracula. How the fuck did I not know about this? Yeah, I don't need to know the plot line. I'm, I'm just going to guess there was guns involved and um, Billy wins. But, you know, when you think to yourself, wow, they were scraping the barrel at the end on that one. They I don't really think <laughs> that was reaching. That really was. But I will say, one of my favourite actors to have played Bella aside, Christopher Lee aside, um, and Martin Landau, whether you can really count him because it was only like a yeah. bit. Hard. But um, those three aside, and, and obviously Gary Oldman, um, would be. Um, now, have you seen the BBC adaptation of Bram Stoker's Dracula? I most certainly have. I love Klaus Casper Bang. He, wow. For a Danish actor to sound more British than most British than men. Than me. Yeah. He, he gave, he was the right amount of everything for me. He gave off humour. He gave off uh, that, that's not sex appeal because that's not what it is. He gave off that. But it kind of is. It's like that romantic, yeah, sexy... the romanticism -y thing. Yeah, uh -huh. everything was a learning moment, and you could see when he was yes. acting, he was he it, it, he was working everything out. The, the 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 more they went through the years, you could see him learn and work out how to adapt to every situation. Yeah. But you'd watch it in in his eyes; it would dawn on him. And for a guy that. British uh, English is not his first language. He's Danish. <laughs> I actually didn't know he was Danish. And um, yeah, I, I think he done one of the, 
he plays for me one of the most seductive uh, Draculas in, in all of them. But I mean, it always comes down to personal taste. Everybody automatically goes to Gary Oldman out of all of them. He's no, but he's there sexy Dracula isn't he because he's like steampunky wow. Victorian yeah top hat um, it's the whole yeah. I see, I see. you know so and he goes through the and we're not talking old Mr Burns version of <laughs> Dracula we're talking <laughs> top hat tiny glasses you know that Gary Oldman yeah that. that's everybody's their first go-to whereas there's something about Klaus that may, was very reminiscent of Baylor Mm-hmm. But he had a very modern take on it, even though it was still supposedly based in the Carfax Abbey. That's what it was called. Yes. Um, in It was based in the right time. But him, him, mm-hmm. I, I do, I don't think anybody's, <sighs> when you say Dracula, he is always the first. Yeah. He's the first that comes to mind. Without a shadow of a doubt, his face is the first face I think of when someone says Dracula. Instantly. So therefore, his job is done. He just wasn't around long enough to realise his worth because Universal didn't realise the worth of their old movies until way later after he passed away. And it was too late. And it was too late. And we will explore more with Bella or Bela, sorry. I'm going to just start calling him by how it's meant to be said. I know, and it's nothing to anyone who says Bella. It's just, I'm so used to hearing people sitting Bella now. I'll just <laughs> and chop and change whatever comes out of my mouth. I'm to be sorry. honest, I'm, you're right. It's <laughs> probably going to be the same. But yeah, we will explore into Bela's life alongside the relationship he had with Karloff because it is, for all, it is not the big Hollywood feud that it was being made out to be because there was a time when that was all the range. And they turned out to be nothing but, well, we we just didn't see eye to eye on something. We got over it. We moved on. It's, you know, there's not, no big fight here yet. This is one of them. But there is a, a beautiful way of being able to link them to, to get to a movie that when I saw a clip of it today, instantly went, I need to see it because I have never been so taken back by just listening to Karloff as him with no makeup on. And just be him acting. And it was Black Cat. Mm. Watching them two powerhouses act side by side was incredible. So I would love, we will be exploring that at some point, but not next we, week. We got a long bloody list, people. So, oh, season two is going to be it um, next week. Yes. <laughs> do, do you want to tell the people what next week is? Yeah, a big ball of goo from outer space. We're the going. Blob. We're going all extraterrestrial. Ish. Ish. Gooey. <laughs> Very sticky. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are doing the blob. Something just to something different. I feel like season two, we need to be a bit more adventurous, and the blob is definitely adventurous. It's a blob. It is a blob. I always remember it from Greece. It's the movie that's been shown when it's coming out of the cinema doors and everything. And also Steve McQueen's, but they got the dark um, line. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
well, we that was such a good Steve McQueen. (laughs) (laughs) There there was no Eleanor in this. There was no uh, GT Ford Mustang fastback going down (laughs) San Francisco hills really fast uh, with Nicolas Cage pretending to drive it as well. No, no, there was none of that. Oh gosh, yes. So next week is the blob. Yes, this has been Dracula. This has been something. our first one back bear with us that's all i'm gonna say yeah and we've we've both been really poorly (laughs) as i said at the beginning one still is (laughs) can you work out which one (laughs) (laughs) it's gonna be funny i i think now because like i'm fully aware given that i do all the audio for nerdy up north which includes monsters trekton and um ramblecast that the silences don't mean nothing to them when they're just sitting <laughs> laughing. So my apologies. We are back every Monday. Monster Mondays is back, 7 o'clock. All of our audio goes up on a Tuesday. And we can be found anywhere you find your podcast from. You can now also find us on Instagram and TikTok. Separate, just Monsters Up North. You can find Dan's Bleeding Marvellous on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. You did some really name. good memes over the over the over the Christmas period, I gotta say. I enjoyed them. Good. My effort was appreciated, <laughs> even if I was dying. <laughs> Have that people. <laughs> <laughs> and we will be back in full good health of us next week (laughs) for for the blob so have we got anything else to add before we say goodbye dan um only goodbye dan (gasps) goodbye dan and uh stay spooky everyone bye